All right, here we are at sleepwithmepodcast.com. <laughs> Why did I say that? Sleep with me, Star Trek Central. I'm getting command. I'm getting command of the situation, and I got my transcript up here. I got the episode on my old iPhone 4S. I I I, I actually have tested out watching them on Amazon and on um, what's the other one? Netflix. Uh, the nice thing if you're doing podcasting is that you can download the episodes onto your Amazon. And the episode is rolling. The lights aren't bright enough for me to read, so I got to pause it one second. All right, the lights are on now. Season four, episode five. Remember me. And oh boy, was this a, this is a good. Ep- I really, really, I loved this episode. It is a bit Beverly Crusher uh, extraordinaire. This episode. So if you're a fan of Beverly Crusher, Doctor Beverly Crusher. Check uh, Chief Medical Officer's log and get over here because uh, you got to watch this episode. And that's what it opens with, Chief Medical Officer's log. And it starts out, I think I, the audio is, I thought it was muted, but maybe I'm, I think maybe I'm hearing things. I'm hearing, hearing Bill Irwin in my, in my brain. But it starts out with some wonderful, I don't know if those are painted, like I don't know anything about visual effects. My brother's in the visual effects business, but I'm not... I'm in the suspension of disbelief business, you know, for real. And, and that's my hobby, too. And my lifestyle, my belief system. My belief system is suspension of disbelief, I think. Maybe not. Maybe it's a hyper—I guess my belief—you're right, brain. Hypervigilance is my belief system. Anyway, good thing I'm hypervigilant about this episode because it starts out with these beautiful uh, shots of the space station or starbase— Again, I've not heard from Star Starfleet, so I don't know if I'll be accepted. Uh, but Doctor Crusher's meeting her old friend. Uh, I put from where because, there, but it ends up she talks about it later. But he, he's because he's much older than her. That's why I, why I say like I said, from where are they friends? Because she like uh, probably twenty year. Uh, no offense to Bill Irwin, he's passed anyway. You know, I don't know, like, I uh, just think there's a big age difference. And, and they're just, it's plutonic friendship. Just, you know, cut your snickering. Uh, but they have a very thematic, very good, to, they say, geez, great to see you. And uh, Dr. Kirsch, his name's Dalen uh, Quince or something. Dalen Quace, right, you're right. And he says, just, she says, sorry about, he's, sorry about that you lost your uh wife he's just retired i believe and she says is that why you retired and he says yeah it was a lifetime together uh, doing all the things we'd ever dreamed you know but i don't know if i want to work in the same office and live in the same place anymore and then crusher kind of talks about her husband she says she's we didn't have we just had a couple of years together uh but she goes uh, like this is very this is a hard one to say on this podcast but it's very important for the theme of the episode she says it's hard to when you realize someone you love is lost forever. And it's something, let me tell, tell just, I don't want to front load this, but holy, if this episode represents the Beverly Crusher subconscious, what a, like, what a healthy mind this person has, this character has. What a, like, uh, her internal support systems and her belief in herself is just very, very, very impressive this episode. And she even has that healthy attitude about, you know, loss. Uh, I don't know. I guess that this will forever change how I view Dr. Crusher. Uh, like, uh, I mean, because I'm, you know, I'm looking at this Star Trek with new eyes. 
it maybe I think I, I don't know I don't know how many t- if I told you how many times I watched this episode you'd probably like that you know I wouldn't be making podcasts anymore. Uh, but a couple times I had it on in the back. Really, I just want to see how many times like I guess this is testing. Like uh, how many times can I watch an episode of Star Trek? And maybe you'll find out when you see that Scoots hasn't put out an episode in thirty weeks. And I say, yeah, he tre- yep, he hasn't. Uh, but then, what's his name? So, so Mari Crace, what's his name? Dalen Quace says, uh, Sumari Roll. Sorry, that's one of my favorite football player names, former football player, I believe. He says, Well, you know what the worst part about getting old is? You know, so many people are gone. So, this continues the theme, even though it got interrupted by me making a tangential point. So many the people in your life are gone. You realize you didn't take the time to appreciate them while you could. And then he says, sorry about the baggage. She's holding baggage. And he says, usually I travel light. And then this will be a little bit of a spoiler too, like uh, interesting relation. Oh, I was also interested in like, like what is Star Command? What is it called? Is that what they're called? Anyway, the Federation, that's what they're called. What is their view on relationships? I know you can live, you know, there's families on the Enterprise. It sounds like Quace, he worked with his wife and they lived together, obviously. I I just would like to know how they, you know, what their EAP situation is, you know, to make sure they're, you know, because they seem to be doing a great job of managing all that. And here in our world, it doesn't seem, I mean, so the, the future looks great from where I'm sitting. Okay, in early soon you realize you know didn't take the time to appreciate him. Then we get another nice base, star base shot, and then Jordy. Now, now I try to avoid like uh, there's a lot of great Star Trek podcasts I have not listened to, and tons of great writing about it. And I try not to read it because I don't want to like uh, I you know I'm a paranoid like a uh, loon. So, it, but I accidentally like saw some people talking about Jordy in a non-positive way. And again, I don't know if that this is why I avoid reading stuff because then Jordy just seemed very testy. He was getting on my nerves. He's like, he says, Wes, time up. And Wesley's trying to do an experiment. It's just a few more minutes. Uh, and then Dr. Crusher goes to see Wes, obviously, because she just had this moment with it, uh, her friend and she wants to go see her son that she loves. And Wes is really focused on this Wesley Crusher. Is focused on this uh, experiment, and she says, "Don't mind me, Wes. I'll just be standing here behind you, with my arms crossed, breathing and staring at your back while you do that experiment." Yeah. Then I guess another sign of healthiness between the crew, like uh, Jordy says, "Wesley, like you, like hurry up." And then there's like this pul- pulse of light, and then Wes is breathing. I don't know that must have been important because I noted it. And they say, "Geez, what happened?" Uh, and then, like he said, they both are like, no idea. And then uh, I think Jordy's like, Jesus, not supposed to. And then Riker calls. He says, prepare for umbilical disconnect. And they say, well, Jesus, that was a weird flashlight. And then Wes starts to walk off. And then he kind of looks back as if something is off. Like, because there is something off. Dun, dun, dun. Then at 340, three minutes and 40 seconds is another great shot of the star base. I don't know when the, oh, oh I guess the opening's down there. Uh, then Beverly tries to get into Dalen Quace's room, you know, to say hi. And uh, uh, where, 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 I lost my spot. 
but there's no sign. The door's she's ringing the doorbell, I guess, and there's no sign of Thalen in the computer. She says, computer, current location of Dalen Quace. And the computer, who gets a lot of airtime in this episode, says, no one by that name here. Also, I didn't have time to look this up, but there's a painting behind her. It was very interesting. It had, like, a planet and a shielded planet or a planet, like, something with a sun. So anybody, Super super Trek fans, let me know what that is. And also, as you'll see in the facts portion of the show, I had some trouble. Then it opens. Then we have Dr. Crusher in Worf rings the doorbell. I was not aware of this. Oh, like Worf, you know, you know how I feel about Worf. I love Worf. He's just so honestly grouchy, like in a non, non-passive aggressive way. Uh, irritable, I guess, in, like, but not like a mean irritability. Because uh, she says, she's Worf, I can't find my friend Dale and Quace. I, requ- and he, I requested quarters for him. He goes, I was not aware of this passenger. And he says, please proceed. Or something. I think Dr. Rush said, oh, Picard approved it. And she said, geez, I could, like, you can't find him. And then the uh, Worf says, uh, where's Dale and, computer, where's Dale and Quace? And the computer's like, nope. And then Worf glares. He says, why would his belongings be missing? Uh, then we report into Captain Picard. Now, he has these pink things in his hand I've attempted to identify. It looked like, I, at first I noted slide rule, question mark. And I can't, you know, it was on a time limitation. So I thought they were like these pads, P-A-D-S's. Uh, but that I don't think that's correct. Uh, but everybody's in the commander's, uh, like uh, Jean-Luc's office and Worf and Data are reporting. Jeez, we can't find it. This Data, Dale and Quace isn't on board. Uh, Data says, Jesus, there's no, like, uh, there's only the regular uh, complement on board, the regular, no one else on board. And that con- concerns Dr. Crusher. And they're like, well, could he have returned to base? And they're like, check, uh, you know, check that out. In a call, yeah, call command. Uh, then, uh, like, Crusher's worried, but then she goes to leave. He says, "One moment, Doctor." And she says, "I'm not." He goes, "I'm not sure if you're aware of the procedure. You know that you're supposed to ask if you're going to have a guest on board. It feels like college or something." And she goes, "I sent the request a few weeks ago, and you proved it." He goes, "I don't recall. Uh, I don't recall that." And this is oh, this is like a mystery. This whole episode, a slow mystery that I I was even slower. So this would have been like a first clue that something is off, you know. Other than the other clues, because Picard says, "Huh, I didn't know. Must have been intercepted before it reached me." And then Crusher says, "Well, you emailed me back, or it was an okay." And Picard said, "It'd be prudent to find out if anybody like if anybody else has their hand in this." Uh, let's see. Then we're on the bridge. Data says this is this was good. Uh, Data says like uh, there is no Dale and Quace uh, like uh, on Starbase one three three. And Ricard says Beverly, you said he was there for six years. And uh, Data says not. The computer doesn't say that. And according to Starfleet records, there's no Quace, not even any Quace. In fact, not in any. No, never even existed. And Dr. Crusher says, I interned with him on Delos 4. I've known him for 15 years. 
And then Data says, I don't doubt you, but I've tried 173 phonetic variations of his name. And Dr. Crusher is like, Quace, Q-U-A-A-I-C-E. Your records are wrong. I thought that was hilarious. Uh, and she's like, he was on board. And then Picard says, uh, someone has removed all, again, the, the, like, this is very, uh, he goes, someone has removed all traces. So then they say, well, he, you know, he, uh, materialized on board, whatever they call that. Let's talk to O'Brien. And O'Brien's like, I don't remember. Uh, and then I put in parentheses, hey, what is going on? I had already seen the episode once. Uh, uh, but I think that's like a good 1045. Uh, uh, like uh, Maybe somebody said that. Why do I have it in parentheses? But at 1045, Crusher has kind of the sad, like awkward, confused look on her face. Uh, then she's on the lift with the turbo lift with Riker. And Crusher's like, I don't think O'Brien was lying. And Riker goes, no, 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 no. There's no trace of Dr. Quace. That rhymes. They didn't rhyme in the episode. And she goes, well, I just didn't conjure him up. He's one of my best friends. And Riker seems suspicious, but he says, geez, if the ship's records are off, the transporter records would be off. That makes sense. And Crusher's like, well, maybe he was busy, but that's O'Brien's good at his job. And she goes, well, maybe I'll run a diagnostic on him. And Riker says, to make sure he wasn't tampered with? Yeah, maybe give it a shot. I'll see if he's eaten. You know, if Quace has been on board, he would have eaten something from one of the replicators. His Riker's just swift. Uh, let's make sure O'Brien, okay, and they're at Med Bay with Chief O'Brien. And then uh, uh, Dr. Crusher says, Dr. Solar, Dr. Hill? And there's no Dr. Solar, Dr. Hill on board. And O'Brien has to sit through that. He's like, huh, I don't, I don't know what to say about this. She says, where, she says, computer, where are they? And the computer says, they're, they're, they don't exist. So then Dr. Crusher's meeting with, uh, like, back with Picard. She goes, two of my doctors and four of their medical staff are missing and they're not in the computer's memory. And Picard's like, were they friends with Dr. Quace? And she said, no, 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 they work on the ship. Uh, but the, my nurses and their family, I missed this the first three times I saw it, like, and their families don't remember them. And then Picard, also I want to say a big shout out to Picard and the writers, because Picard really stays steady in his... Uh, I mean, he does great acting to show that he's in some kind of conflict about this, but he always trusts his crew. So he's still going with it, you know, even though they did never took the easy way out in this episode, even how the characters interacted was saying, well, geez, Dr. Crusher, you just, like, their bodies in acting may have said, well, geez, are you, Beverly, are you sure you're not imagining this? But no one ever said that. And that's really, like, uh, that's that would be lazy st storytelling, which, I mean, I, you know, hello, but uh, that I specialize in. But, I mean, it, like, uh, I don't know, I just really respected that. And it just struck me. Uh, but she says, uh, like, uh, as Brett Picard says, Jesus, they're missing just like Dr. Quason, nobody knows. And she goes, O'Brien checks out, and, and Picard, and he didn't laugh, but it would have been funny if he said, Really? O'Brien checks out 100%. And then Wesley and uh, Jordy say, well, geez, we, we kind of had this weird thing happen. Maybe you should come down here, Chief uh, Picard. 
And then they start to go down. He says, I'm on my way. Then they stop at the bridge. They're like, number one, what's the progress? And he goes, no one's seen him. And he goes, Mr. Worf, uh, check every, check the, sh- sh- uh, the shield in the hall. And Worf ta- talks back. He goes, uh, he goes, I've been closely monitoring everything. No indication. Picard says, what are you kidding me? Give me a level one diagnostic then. Don't, don't you know, I, I, I liked that. Okay, check the hall. We have Worf talks back. And I want some answers. That's what Picard says. Uh, then we're with Wesley. He's talking about K- Kaczynski's. Uh, this is an old episode that I have seen, like when I was prepping to make this series. And maybe we'll watch it at some point. He's talking about Kaczynski's formulas and uh, just something kind of happening outside our space time continuum. So there's lots of clues being uh, toiled out here from the mystery, for the mystery, but no answers yet. Maybe Picard says that because. Uh, uh, it doesn't sound like something I would say. But they're talking about this strange warp bubble, like, you know, beyond our time-space continuum. Uh, that's what Wesley was up to. Uh, but Picard's still on board. He goes, uh, let's see, he goes, this is our only working theory. That's our only working theory, this strange warp, not Beverly's mental health. So he says, let's keep working on it. Yeah, then we see an empty med bay with music, and then we're on the bridge, Riker, Picard, and Data. Gets wild. Why'd they put that? WTF what? I mean, because what happens is Crusher comes in, she says, there's no one in sick bay. Apparently, I guess because just everyone's reaction is so, this was very Twilight Zone now. She goes, there's no staff in sick bay. And Riker says, and that surprises you, doctor? She says, surprises me. I'll say there should be four people on duty at all times. And Data totally, Data faces, the ship's records do not concur, Doctor. She says, what do you mean? He goes, you have no staff. And this is when it gets chilling, I guess, because she says, what do you mean? I'm the sole medical officer for a thousand uh, staff members? And Data is totally struck. He goes, there's only 230 people on board. And then Picard says, uh, Dr. Crusher, maybe we should talk in private. He orders up Earl Grey tea hot. He says, geez, you want something, Beverly? Oh, wait, right before I forgot this. This one is double starred, so you should check it out. At 1555, uh, Riker glares at uh, Dr. Crusher and his eye twitches. Double exclamation points. So that's worth checking out. Uh, so then Picard, like, uh, like orders Earl Grey tea, like, uh, what does this say? Earl Grey hot. I think Dr. Crusher just sits there in shock. There's two neon slide rules, which I didn't understand. And Picard says, so Beverly, you're saying we're missing 800 people. And she goes, I know how it sounds. And he goes, there's nothing abnormal. And whatever Wesley was doing down there, that was uh, like, like it only affected the locally stuff. And she says, she's Captain, my gut is telling me this isn't good. And he goes, I have no choice to believe you. You know, safety of the crew. But he goes, I got to be sure. And Crusher goes, what, my mental health? She goes, I scanned myself, you know, my adrenaline's up. Like, uh, Ricard's still like a Sherlock Holmes. Okay, well, what else could it be? Uh, you're the only one experiencing this. And she goes, well, I could talk to Troy, you know, Counselor Troy. He goes, well, it won't hurt. 
And then I really like this. She goes to leave, but then she turns back. She goes, Captain, please return this ship to Starbase 133 for a full diagnostic. I realize you only have my word, but you got to do it. And Picard says, trust her. He says, okay. He calls her. He says, Riker, head back to base. And he says, your word has always been good enough for me. Uh, then Beverly, uh, so any more clues? I have no choice. Any more clues? No. I'll talk to Troy. Oh, then uh, uh, Med Bay, this strange portal opens up and tries to like uh, have Beverly come visit. And she has this WTF look on her face. Then there's a commercial. Uh, then there's a crew meeting. Jordy says, geez, I don't know about this Vortex Dr. Crusher saw. I mean, she's the one that thinks there's all these people on, you know. Uh, but Picard still really wants to get to the bottom of it. You know, he's not willing to give up. Uh, then Data rolls in. Uh, he says, there's no malfunctions and all ships nearby, all their crews are accounted for. Uh, so there's nothing weird going on except right here, right around this seat. And Crusher says, how many people are on board anyway? And he says, all 114 people are here. And she says, what? And he goes, that's the exact number it should be. And she goes, this ship's almost empty. There's only 114 people on board a ship for a 1,000. Like, all these rooms, why are they empty? And Data says, transportation and colonists and columnists, diplomatic missions. And then the Crusher says, geez, let's monitor all the crew. That's when it starts, 451 right there. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But they say, watch all the crew. Uh, this was very twilight zone. When they say one fourteen, I was really feeling that uh, that fe- the tension. Like I said, she's because I did not like I, I did not know what was happening. Still, this is a wonder coming to a show like this new. Uh, so Picard puts the ship on red alert. Oh, because she says, "She said, can you have Worf do something?" And Picard goes, "Worf," and she goes, "Worf, chief of security, the big guy that never smiles, the Klingon." And then everyone has a reaction, like Klingon, like they're like this is gold. Then we have Troy and Crusher in the hall. Again, if this represents her subconscious, her ability to grapple with things and doubts, because she says, "Deanna, I gotta like, can you tell me if I've you know if I'm having some sort of mental issue?" And she goes, "If you're asking me, then probably not." And she goes, "Don't evade the answer." And Troy says, "Well, then ask me a question I can answer." And she goes, well, I've delivered people's kids and, you know, no, you know, these are people I've worked with for a long time and no one, she goes, I can picture all these people that are missing. They're real. And if it's not the ship, then it's got to be me. And I want us to turn around and Troy says, well, what if it is you? And she goes, well, then I'm making a mountain out of a molehill. And she goes, no, no, you are acting in the best interests of the ship and the crew. What more could you ask yourself? If it's a mistake, we'll just be a little late for something. It's not a big deal. And then she says, it's not a mistake. And then Troy says, well, you know, I'll have a full exam when we do get to a base. But uh, And then she starts to worry if Wesley's going to, and then she finds Wesley in engineering. Uh, Troy has this look after she says, Wesley, Wesley. And then he says, Mom, are you all right? But Wesley's look says it all. She goes, no. Wesley goes, yeah, I already know. And she goes, you don't believe me. 
And she goes, we got to find someone to help. And he says, well, there's this alien from Tau Alpha C, the Traveler. And he used to, you know, he was the one that worked with the Kaczynski. And he doesn't live in all reality. He lives in more than one reality. And she goes, could you have made something that alters reality? And she goes, I don't know. And he goes, well, we have to find a way to find him. And they start to walk, but then Wesley's gone. She turns around. So she goes back to the bridge and only, this was cool. This was just so good. I mean, the show works on so many levels. I mean, I guess even if you wanted, like, I don't see why you would need to make fun of this show. Because uh, it's just so enjoyable. And it's like she goes to the, the bridge and Picard's just kicking it by himself. Uh, and he, she, he, he has his back to her. He turns around uh, and she just looks around. She kind of shudders uh, and gives a smile. Like uh, one of those smiles like, holy cow. She goes, they're all gone. Riker, Troy, Data. And he goes, you know what, Doctor? I've been more than fair with you. You know, I've tried to work with you in your perceptions. And then we learn about Will Riker's dating profile. She says, Will Riker, your first officer, good at playing poker, loves to cook, uh, likes jazz music, plays the trombone. Geez, holy cow. No wonder he's so smooth. And then Picard says, I find no evidence of uh, uh, Will Riker. And she goes, what about Data, the android that uh, wants to be human and doesn't get jokes? He goes, don't worry, we'll be a starbase soon. She goes, Troy, half betazoid, loves chocolate. Arrival of her mother makes you shudder. Uh, she goes, the whole breathing heart of this crew for three years. They deserve more than to be shrugged off, brushed aside, and pinched out of existence. They deserve so much more. And he says, you, maybe you should just stay at your, uh, at your, uh, like, in your quarters. And this was like around 2530, just in case you want to see it. It's good. It's just press or combined to sick day. And she laughs. And she goes, what do you like? Uh, why do you think we're just the only two people on a giant spaceship? She goes, this makes perfect sense to you. He goes, yeah, we've never needed a crew before. It's just the two of us cruising space uh, for Starfleet. And she goes, you remember a uh, traveler from, uh, we got, she goes, we got to get a hold of this traveler from Tau Alpha C. And Picard says, sure, you know, I'll make every effort to find him. And this is when I, what I open the show with. It's not a delusion. It's not a dream. There's a physical measurable phenomenon at work here, which is true. Perhaps you could help me to identify. And she goes, well, let's just keep an eye on your heartbeat. And then she says, sorry, I lost your temper. I'm sure you remember it. Uh, and he goes, vividly. And then she goes, John, Luke, I've been meaning to tell you. This is very, a little, and then he vanishes. I've been meaning to tell you this. I want to tell you. And he's out, O-U-T out, 2755. And she gets another great close-up of hope leaving her face as it twitches. But she goes, I won't forget. I won't forget any of you. Uh, then another vortex forms where they're trying to pull her in, the portal. And then this, for me, was a big reveal. Like, I didn't realize at this point. It's Wesley and Jordy on the other side of the vortex, and then the vortex fails. And they're like, I lost her. It's over. And then Jordy says, it's not over, Wesley. And then the traveler peers out of the mist. He says, don't worry, Wesley, there's still a way. And this was the big twist. I did not see what was coming. You Like, I couldn't figure it out. I mean, I guess I'm good that it's like I'm, like I'm easily uh, deceived. 
Also, the reason I've never mentioned the original Traveler episode, I couldn't put my finger on it. Maybe it was something about Kaczynski, and it made me uncomfortable. But then they have, they come back from an ad, and they say, Picard says, And now the Traveler, a mysterious visitor from our past, has reappeared. And then they're uh, having a meeting uh, about her, and they say, well, What's going on with Beverly? Is she okay? He goes, As long as she thinks she's okay, she's okay. Riker said, Riker uses hell every episode. He goes, what the hell does that mean? And he says, your species has a very narrow perceptions of time and space and thought. He goes, when she got caught in this warp bubble, she created her own reality. And he says, you like, uh, they say, can you get her back? He goes, no, but there is a way. Uh, I can help. But Wes, he goes, Wesley, there's a power within each of us. I thought I was going to use this for the opening that most people haven't even begun to realize. This is very, you know, uh, Star Wars. But you've begun, or else I would not have known to come here now. Together we can open a gateway, but she must choose to walk through it. Uh, then we got Crusher, who's really using the computer. She goes, okay, let's start with the assumption uh, that I haven't, like, like she goes, that I'm not crazy. And she goes, let's, like, she goes, read the whole crew roster. They say, just you. And she goes, am I the only crew always? And they say, yep. And uh, she goes, if this was a bad dream, would you tell me? says, it's not a valid question. She goes, like, hell, it's not. And she's, she's really the detective now. And she goes, what date did I get on board? And they said, like, uh, 4-11-54. And she goes, okay, that, that at least that's right. And she goes, is there more than one USS Enterprise? She goes, there's this is the fifth one, but only one in service. And then she says, what is the mission of the Enterprise? Explore the galaxy. And she goes, does that make any sense? Computer goes, well, not really. And she goes, well, why am I the only crew member? And the computer says that information's not available. And then she says, what about Tau Alpha C? Like, is there anybody like from Tau C around? They go, no. And then she says, how long to get there? 120 days, uh, 23 days or something. She goes, set a course for Tau Alpha C and send a message telling him we're coming. Uh, laying a new course. Uh, and the computer says, okay. And she says, engage. And then it's like, what? And the computer says, she's a like, computer, why aren't you doing it? And she, the computer says, where? And she goes, Tau Alpha C. They go, that doesn't exist. Uh, then we have, I think, an ad, uh, because we have a captain's log. Um, oh, she stands at this total loss. I like. Then the West and the Traveler are trying to create a staple bubble. They put Holy Family Therapist. Let me see what that means. Oh, because just the subtext. They think because Wesley's a teen. The Traveler says, Our goal will be to create a stable gateway between your reality and your mother's reality. Wesley goes, We've, I've tried. We can't stabilize that link. And the traveler, this, uh, this is very, he goes, uh, equations are only the first step. We're going beyond mathematics. And Wesley says, well, I don't know what to do. He says, well, let go of your guilt, Wesley. And Wesley goes, it's my fault. He goes, focus on the present. You have to be completely here to help your mother. You must open yourself to the time and space and the intricate threads that bind them. You know, trust yourself. Um, interested threads, uh, close your eyes and see past the numbers. It can't when the, uh, then we see the ship, no star base, uh, not the people, everything. What does that mean? 
uh, oh, I think uh, Crusher thought she should be at the Starbase, and then it's just a cloud. She goes, what is it? It goes, mass energy field, 705 feet in diameter. And she goes, around the ship? And, uh, yeah, and she goes, if there's nothing wrong with me, maybe there's something wrong with the universe. I was like, holy ego. I mean, I say, I always say that the reverse way. I say, well, if there's nothing wrong with the universe, there must be something wrong with me. But that's also a sign of a huge ego. Uh, she goes, what is beyond the energy field? The computer says he can't tell. And she goes, what is the nature of the universe? And the computer basically says the, the energy field of 705 meters. Uh, but then we go back and we realize the bubble's collapsing through Wesley. Uh, then Crusher says, show me what the universe looks like. It looks exactly like the warp bubble. She's like, oh, it's the bubble and I'm in it. And then they say, whole integrity compromised because the bubble's shrinking. Four, four minutes and 17 seconds. And then the traveler says, it's time, Wesley. I also put Wesley is very tan at this point. And he says, let it go, Wesley. And then Beverly's still on the case. He says, come on, Beverly. What was the next step? Dale and Quace. And she goes, my thoughts created this. And again, she has, I guess this is resiliency at work, really. She says, my thoughts created this and they'll get me out. 40-55 is all, like, just really good. She says, okay, that's when it started, and I just have to figure out again. And the computer says, I don't understand. She goes, I'm not talking to you. And then this just this cool scene. She goes, click my heels together three times, and I'm back in Kansas. Can it be that simple? And I realized she probably doesn't. Like, that was for the audience, but I just liked it. I think it was excellent how it was delivered. And then we see the travel, Traveler and Wesley are working and kind of phasing in and out while Picard watches. Uh, and then she says, like, computer, like, uh, what do you think? Uh, she goes, hypothetical situation. Parents went away on a week's vacation, and a person's in a warp bubble. How would they get out? The computer says, well, it depends on a stable threshold between warp field and the outer environment, or subtextually between a mother and her son, like an umbilical cord, of emo- emotional umbilical cord. And the computer says, I can't describe what that is within the threads of time and space. And she goes, theorize. How would it manifest itself? And she goes, Oedipalian or non-Oedipalian? And she goes, non-Oedipalian. And this is a dy- dynamic atmospheric disturbance of great intensity. You know, they call it, like, I think they call it, uh, what do they call it? Angst, I think is what they call it. And she goes, angsty vortex, eh? And she goes, now I just got to find this ang- angsty vortex. And then uh, uh, they say, yeah, but it's got to be as stable as an umbilical cord. Angsty, but stable. And she goes, oh, engineering. That's where they tried to do it. Uh, she was, uh, she tries to take the herbal lift, but it won't work because the ship's shrinking. So she says, just take me anywhere on deck 36. And then they're losing the bubble, but then Crusher shows up in engineering, and the bubble's there, and she just jumps right through it. And then uh, Ricard says, Beverly. And she says, Jean-Luc. She sees the traveler. She goes, do I have you to thank for bringing me back? She hugs Jean-Luc first. And he goes, no. And then Wesley kind of gets up from the floor, and he's all out of it. And, uh, they give, they have a big, they share a moment, mom and son. 
And she says, Jean-Luc, if I might ask, how many people are on board? And he goes, 1,014, including your guest, Dr. Quace. And he says, is there something? She says, Jordy says, there's something wrong with that? She goes, no, it's just as it should be. And then the episode ended, which is, like, interesting, because it didn't end on, uh, like, a meeting with Picard and anybody. Oh, also, Wesley, when he got up from the floor from uh, phasing in and out and saving his mom, also, this would be super subtextual, he uh, pulls his jacket shirt down just like Picard does, like, very clearly. And uh, I wouldn't. Oh, also, I had a little quibble, a tiny quibble. I said, well, isn't it what the traveler wouldn't make it? Because they say 1014 with Dale and Quace. Exactly, should be. I said, well, isn't it 1015? Doesn't the traveler count? No respect for the traveler uh, with his three th- fingers. But th- And then that's the end of the episode. And it was a good one. Now, just a couple of things came up. Bill Irwin was the actor that played Dalen Quace. I, re- I remembered him from somewhere. It ended up as from Seinfeld. He was also in a lot of different movies, uh, uh, John Hughes movies, too. I probably saw him in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, She's Having a Baby, Home Alone, Dennis the Menace, uh, the third Naked Gun movie. So we could have seen him in one of those as well. He's been in, like, all the TV shows, uh, a lot of Nick and Knight style shows, Andy Griffith, Mr. Ed, Twilight Zone, Fugitive, Mannix, uh, ER, Highway to Heaven, Who's the Boss, Holy Cow, Growing Spain. I've definitely seen him a lot. He was part of my childhood. I guess I didn't realize it. I spent more time watching Who's the Boss, Growing Pains, Full House, Golden Girls, uh, Moonlighting. I didn't. I, maybe that'll be a series we could do some episodes of Moonlighting. Uh, and then uh, Next Generation. And then yeah, he was this grouchy older foster grandfather in uh, in Seinfeld. And yeah, I think that's it uh, for for Bill Irwin. And then I was like, I thought Picard was using these pink slide rules. And then I said, I didn't even I don't know what a slide rule is. Real and I'm a, yeah, a slide rule known in the U.S. is is a mechanical analog computer for multiplication and division division, uh, but also exponents. Uh, not for addition and subtraction. I've never, I, I don't know if I've used a slide rule. If I did, you know, I got it. I, I just like, I can take tests so I could get a D on a test without doing anything. Don't follow this example, kids. So if, if there was like a slide rule related to tests in high school, I just took the test and I said, well, I could probably, well, I never passed math in high school. I'd take the test at the end of the year and pass that. But, uh, it was developed by William Autred in the 17th century, based on logarithms by John Napier. And, you know, obviously, you know, as much as I love computers, I'm sure it did um, forge a way for computers. In its most basic form, it used, this is all from Wikipedia, logarithmic scales to allow rapid multiplication and division. Well, there you go. I don't have any interest in doing that rapidly. Uh, you know, these could be time-consuming and error-prone when you do them on paper. And again, I think I said I'm starting to get, you know, a little math anxiety talking too much about it. Uh, then I asked the question, what is this stuff that Picard, Picard's, the pink stuff on Picard's desk? And over at the Fleet, Fleet Workshop, there's just a lot of good pictures from it. 
they did say well, like uh, one single layer PADDS, uh, and I think they were talking about getting them like where you could get them. And they show like from the whole series. I guess they don't understand because then they show a couple of green ones and then a, a bunch of different ones in different situations. But what is a PADDS? Well, we know what it is. It's a personal access display device, which we use every day, a lot of us. And this is where futurism gets good. I mean, like the, like if you watch The Next Generation, you really do see like iPads and, and iPhones, more or less. And so... uh you know, they were used, this is from uh, Memory Alpha. Yeah, the PADADS, a personal access display device, used as early as the 22nd century. Eh, wrong. I don't know what cent is. Are we in the 21st century? 20. Yeah, so we're using it. So we beat, we're ahead of the game. Soon we'll be living in peace and prosperity. Anytime now. And uh, it's a touch screen with a minimal, minimalist uh, manual interface. Uh, sometimes one or two buttons, variety of functions, and uh, very varying in size and say space. Uh, you know, depending on if they're from the Earth or Federation, uh, Klingon or Cardassian, Kardashian. You know, any of those. You know, and they really look cool. They, like I said, some of these pictures on Memory Alpha, they look. It's just very impressive. I don't know how they did the effects either. A uh, small button located below the screen, uh, but a large display screen. I'm trying to find the pads that I saw, which weren't display screens. They were just these pink things, which like looked like a uh, like a pink tra- neon pink translucent circuit board. So I don't know how you would read those ones. Uh, so I do. I guess I do have to rely on the audience here to set me straight nicely. I'd prefer to be set straight nicely. There's a lot about Klingon, you know, a lot of these look like iPhones. People are FaceTiming. Uh, the pads depicted on Star Trek The Next Generation and onwards were conceived and designed by Rick Sternbach, uh, who came up with the design in uh, January 1987. And the vast majority of the uh, variations following the first version, uh, Steinbach noticed, Sternbach noted... The pad was initially scaled to be the size of a book with a larger, more comfortable screen than tricorders. And the internal isolinear circuitry was supposed to be many thousand of times more compact than the clipboard uh, Kirk was used to signing. I always assumed pads to be a highly capable device, able to communicate with other devices. Uh, The fact that we don't have devices like it today doesn't surprise me in the least. They're all very cool. But I expect them to show up eventually. Uh, the only maybe this is modern, like uh, the only aspect about today's gadgets I didn't think I saw coming in 1987 was how multifunctional they become. So it is he's talking about. So I misquoted him. Sorry, but yeah. So that that's the pad. P personal, uh, personal something to, to display device. Personal access. But again, I don't know if those pink things were pads. I saw people referring to them as pads, but I'm not sure they were because they didn't seem to have a digital display. But they people are looking at them, so I don't know. So that's it for tonight, and uh, so good night, everybody. I'll talk to you soon.